Hey everybody, this is Jonathan Martin and you are listening to the Zeitcast. So glad that you're here. So here's what's happening right now. I am driving from Greencastle, Indiana, where I had a wonderful time yesterday, speaking twice at Gobin United Methodist Church, wonderful church. My friends in Greencastle, beautiful, truly event, beautiful community. Uh, Joel and Tosh Everson's new project uh, at the Whisk in Greencastle last night little bourbon tasting and reading. Oh, it was epic. It was monumental. Driving today, and here's the thing. Um, I did this little episode where I recorded some thoughts in the car, headphones, think of doing this safely last week, and no one revolted. You didn't revolt at the lack of sound quality or the diminished sound quality. Uh, Maybe some of you feel like this is part of me going down that slippery slope. Is audio quality slipping too? But you know, it's the road away from God. This is the road away from God book tour. So there's something that seems good, appropriate, right about recording some things that are actually on the road. Where you hear road noise, all of those things. Um, I'm going to get to this very quickly because I don't. I don't even want to take the time to explain this. I'm just feeling the thing. I'm feeling the thing today. I'm feeling the thing. No particular catalyst, no reason that I'm aware of, except. I'm just feeling the thing where there's a little sense of heat on the throw, and I try to listen to that. So this is part two on this little series of the road. I want to be very clear, not that you're all reading the book, so you don't have to read the book. Um, <laughs> there is no pop quiz. But um, for anybody who would be reading the book, I, I, it was reported to me that this is not rehash or, of uh, exactly what's happening in the book. Um, recording the audiobook soon. And uh, all of that. So this is not that. I wanted this to be uh, fresher and maybe some, I don't know, some riffing, some other tangents, some stuff that's related to the content. The second chapter, uh, which is God on the Road Away from God, I'm thinking this is the shortest chapter in the book. So um, don't hold me to this, but I think this is going to be a significantly a much shorter episode because uh, it just, well, more than anything, I want to be not so much concise as, as precise. I want to be precise, I want to be clear about why these ideas matter to me because the second chapter in particular is the one. I mean, it's really a pretty simple premise. And I feel like maybe this could use a little, uh, just delving into a little bit more. And that premise is is kind of fundamentally this, that until you actually feel like you're given a choice, until you actually are given a choice, then you can't choose. I don't say it that way in the book. This this might be a better way of saying it. But I really believe that to be true. Until you feel like you're given a choice until you know you're given a choice you can't choose so long as you don't have a choice you're not capable of choosing I'm not trying to be philosophical I'm not trying to be philosophical but I'm also not trying to be overly simplistic Uh, I don't think I'm being profound for me this is fundamental it's a it's fundamental humanity Um, there is no relationship there is no context really where this principle doesn't bear out have you ever have you ever fallen in love? Has anybody ever had the experience of falling in love? 
um, where there was not an element of choice. Has anybody ever been told, love me or else? And developed a capacity to actually love somebody. It's not how love works. And what uh, the whole point of this book in many ways, because I don't have an invested interest as someone... Well, and again, I, I try to put all my cards on the table in every way here, and I really do it in this chapter. Um, I'm not going to read that some driving, but there's a whole little paragraph or so where I just try to situate myself and who I am and where I am. Like, look, I'm, irrevoca- I'm uh, irrevocably into Jesus, and I self-identify as a Pentecostal because this uh, idea of being oriented by the Spirit, life in the Spirit, following the Spirit, that everybody has access to the voice of God in dynamic, real-time ways. Those, those are the realities that shape my life and that I build my life on. Those things don't go away. They're not going away. Uh, it's not just what I've been placed into. It's also what I choose. So I'm very clear about where I'm coming from. But I'm also trying to be equally clear that while I want to situate myself and give context because I'm not trying to be dishonest or sell anybody a, a bad used car or something like that, at the same time, I wanted to be very clear, and this is not a head fake, I'm not just saying this, it's not, um, this isn't rhetorical. It's also important for me to say, this is where I am, this is what I choose, this is what I've come to believe about God, this has been my experience of God. The way I would put that, I would say that's from a confessional posture. Uh, it's not, uh, not from a posture of defense, thought about that a little bit on Sunday here, not from posture of defense, it's a confessional posture, it's what I believe, it's where I am. It's also really important for me to say, though, that wherever you are in this journey, that I want you to feel a sense of permission to follow that journey where it needs to take you, to follow the questions in an authentic way, to be able to pursue those questions in a way that's honest, in a way that's fully orbed, in a way that doesn't um, push anything down, hold anything back, in a way that is that doesn't just simply repress. Now, that begs a couple different questions. Uh, the top one being, who am I to give you permission? And the answer to that is nobody. I have no authority in your life. Uh, I don't claim to be your priest. I don't claim to be your anything. I'm not a guru. I'm not an expert. Uh, I like theology. I've done some theological training. I have two master's degrees in theology. don't claim to be the most educated, the most this, most that. I don't have ecclesial authority uh, that gives me some special, like whatever. I don't claim to be any of to be anything in this way. However, I do think it's really important, which I talk about in this chapter, that we have people who are elders, who function as elders, and to say function as elders, goodness, to step into that role temporarily, even if it's kind of a a kind of midwifing, but someone who can step into this role temporarily to give us a sense of permission, not because we need it, because to be clear, and you, your soul knows this, your soul knows this. Your soul knows that you don't need somebody else to give you permission. Your soul knows that you don't need um, some other human, some authority figure to tell you that it's okay for you to walk this direction and not that. Um, there's a part of you that's free. There's a part of you that's in touch with something's true. You you know that. Uh, even though some of us may have spent time uh, where, I don't know, um, being lulled in by really authoritarian voices who made us feel like we were nothing without them and if we departed from where they are and the thing that they were doing, then we'd be nothing and nobody, whatever. Uh, your soul knows that's not true. You, you, they, they did not have any kind, in ultimate sense, 
they, they might have had authority in the sense that authority is relational. And when you grant somebody access, when you grant someone permission, um, anybody can have authority that you give to them. But in the ultimate sense, you know that no one has that kind of authority. That authority belongs to you, and that's good and right. That's, I believe, part of what it is. Part and parcel of what it is to be created in the image of God is that there is this kind of agency. So, you know you don't need my permission. However, 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 I recorded podcasts with a new friend, Kevin Sweeney, for his podcast, I guess, about a week ago. And uh, he, he said this in such a wonderful way, the way it's like... Um, th- th- these, when someone else, we have a sense that someone else gives us permission, how it becomes a sign, it becomes a marker. Uh, <laughs> I authorize you. I'm giving you this permission slip. And the point is not that anyone else really wields that kind of power, but hopefully in a way that helps us along until we understand that really we have the permission slip anyway. Um, and I do think in the meantime, it is important that we have some kind of elders in our lives um, who are able to function in that kind of a role. Um, I think I said this last week, so I don't want to recap too much, but you heard me say, some of you, that an elder is someone who releases us to go on the journey that our soul needs to go on. An elder doesn't try to tell us what to do. Um, well, it's just not good teaching. It's, it's not good teaching. It's not good leadership. It's not healthy human being uh, we need elders to give us a sense of permission I often go to the because I do feel like this in kind of foundational ways answers the question from Jesus perspective what is God like Luke 14 these series of parables parable of the prodigal son we see where the son the wayward son is going to ask his father for his inheritance early which is um, a terrible thing to do in context right it's disreputable it's harmful it's hurtful uh, it clearly is not going anywhere good, but the Father gives permission. That's what elders do. They give us permission. They don't try to tell us what to do. And um, they support us in being able to walk the roads that we need to, to walk without trying to, uh, to dictate anything. So, you know, I, I said a bit about that before. And I think where I'm wanting to hone in just a little bit more directly right now is just how important this sense is because and this is okay I I don't even want to talk about this in terms of why big picture this is psychologically important I want to talk about my own hot burning desire what gets me out of bed gets me going something I just really care about I care about you being able to to live your life uh, and to live your life in a way that you're choosing it from your toes I care about you being able to fully choose your own life. I care about you feeling like that you can be present to your own life, not consigned to a script, not on a chessboard, not um, living out some, I don't know, uh, religious, spiritual leaders, ambitions or agenda for you, uh, not an authority figure, a parent. Um, some somebody who may not even be alive anymore, somebody else's agenda and expectation for your life, um, you need to be able to choose your life all the way down. That doesn't mean, by any means, that you need to choose opposite of what any uh, or all of those folks might hope for you. In fact, that's actually a really silly way to live. Can we say that? It's immature. It's emotionally immature. And sometimes we need to be immature. That's part of the journey, too, is that um, we live and walk through stages. But generally speaking, to live in reaction 
uh, not response, but reaction to what other people want from us, what other people uh, think we should do. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, you're telling me to do that? Well, then I'm going to do this instead. Is this what you want me to do? Well, then I'm going to do that. Um, it's just not a healthy way to live, and it doesn't lead anywhere good. So the point is not to go opposite of that. Uh, it's actually, in fact, I feel like oftentimes people, when they come full circle, you might choose a lot of the things that other people's uh, other people in your life would have chosen for you. Those things really might converge. It's also possible they might not. And either way, you don't know if you don't feel like you get to choose. Then this doesn't happen. You can't love God if you don't feel like you've got an option whether or not to serve God. I, I, look, I understand like the way that um, uh, a sense of like God gets a hold of our heart or hold of our life or song gets a hold of you and um and i get idea gets a hold of you where you say like, oh, i have to do this um there's a kind of have to right metaphorically speaking that's fine like you feel like i've got i have to do this i have no choice it's what's in me to do okay that's one thing it's another thing to feel like you have to do something because it's do this or else um one of the i reflect often because i actually love this passage um paul has this image in Philippians, about how every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when I hear that, I, I know because of what I believe to be deeply true about the character of Jesus, and I, I'll go into that in a second, why I believe some of the things that I do, the way that I do. But what that cannot mean is that that's somehow at the tip of the sword or down the barrel of a gun. Just can't mean that. Can't mean that. Uh, it's not who God is. Not uh, what love is. It's not how love works. It's not how God works. God is love. And since a lot of what we're getting into right now is this question of authority, right? Who has authority to speak in this way or that way in our lives? Do we have the authority? Where, what about our own inner authority? What about our own experience? Um, I'm convinced if you know what you're reading, you, you're getting this a lot in the Gospels. Jesus has an authority that is unlike that of the scribes and Pharisees. And yes, you know, as a Christian, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and all these like creedal things. But I think one of the more overt, top-level things that's happening is Jesus has an authority that's unlike that of some of these other, um, these other religious leaders of his day because his authority is that that comes from lived experience. Jesus is not speaking, right, out of things that he's heard. Jesus is speaking out of his own lived experience. Jesus is speaking out of his own lived reality. He's not talking about what he's just heard. Um, and he speaks that way, and it scandalizes people, frightens them. They, he speaks as someone, who, well, who, who, is, who is this guy? Where does he come from? Who does he think he is? Because he speaks with authority. He speaks with the kind of inner authority that comes from lived experience. It doesn't come in either way that, uh, from lived experience. Seminary cannot give it to you. Uh, ordination, and I think there are healthy ways to ordain and credential, but will not give it to you. No one else can give it to you. Le, le, walking the path for yourself gives it to you. Uh, lived reality is what gives you that kind of authority. But I still can understand where to make the question when I say, well, this is how love is. This is how God is. And I'm kind of saying, matter of fact, like this is how this works. Not like that. I can understand how people would say, okay, well, come again. Who are you to tell me that? How do, how do you know that? How do you know that? Where do you get up? How do you know that? So I'm going to take a couple minutes to try to answer that question in terms of how I know what I know. 
to say how I know what I know is not a way of um, flashing a badge or giving credentials. Um, it's not trying to, like, you know, overpower anyone in that way. I, no, I mean, in, the, in a more, like, basic kind of um, sense of epistemology, how do I know what I know? Like, how do I get there? How do I, how do I come into this? Uh, where do I get off saying things like this? Well, this is where it gets a little interesting because obviously there's more than one answer to that. Some of which I go into in the book, especially the next chapter, uh, as a person who's very much been formed by Hebrew and Christian scripture. Not only Hebrew and Christian scripture, but the story, the broader story, the communities that uh, have given us those texts. So, you know, that involves, um, well, you know, sometimes we'll say a great cloud of witnesses, right? The communion of the saints in the words of the Apostles' Creed. It's a broader story. Other people have been part of It's a tradition. Um, obviously, there I would appeal to some parts of the tradition that I connect to in uh, ways that I don't necessarily connect with other parts of tradition, like with anybody. But um, I'm connected to a broader story. I'm connected to tradition, connected to people, all of those things. So that means scripture is incredibly important to me. Uh, I am a person for whom uh, scripture is still, I'm a person for whom scripture is very much a sacred text. And it is, uh, that, that is transformational, that is powerful, that is to use the language of the apostle Paul, that is spirit breathed, it's God breathed. So, um, scripture is enormous, um, also enormous, and I, I would contend this is part of a broader witness, what we get in the book of Acts, right? I, I, I really don't want to get too lost in this, so allow this to be a footnote for the moment. In the book of Acts, we see how early Christians discern, and uh, Amos Young has a great phrase, calls it a trialogue. It's a trialogue between scripture, spirit, and community. So, both what they've read in the text... Um, but it's not just about what they've read in the text. It's also about their own lived experience and community, the, um, the witness of the Spirit at work and their neighbors within that community uh, as part of a broader story, part of a tradition. So, yeah, Spirit, Word, community, how do we see the Holy Spirit at work in these various forms? We we'll take all of that into account, take all of it seriously. We take stories, people that we know, we uh, learn and we take all of that very seriously. And that's, um, that is, uh, I don't like the phrase scriptural because it's used uh, in all kinds of ways, like uh, as if there's not 66 books um, that, uh, that, that sometimes strike different chords. But um, I will use it here. That, that, that's the scriptural way. If I can say it uh, like this, I do think it is the biblical way. That is the model. Spirit, word, community. It's not not just one of these. It's not just, it's not scripture alone. Uh, with apologies to uh, the the Martin Luther way of framing it. Uh, actually, I think there's a healthier way of putting it. And a lot of Lutheran people now would. But I think uh, you know if you're being technical about it, it really isn't scripture alone. It's scripture, word, community, and so. But I also think as part of that, right, as people even who care about. The, the word, who care about scripture, where that is informing our story in some way. We have to pay attention to how scripture has been used, how scripture informs, well, especially, again, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, how this informs the founder of the church. 
because what we see in the actual stories of Jesus, sermons of Jesus, all that, is that Jesus himself has his own hermeneutic. This could be its own talk, and I don't really want to make it quite its own talk here. But the hermeneutic of Jesus, what passages from his Hebrew Bible, what does he choose to lift up, expand, expound upon? Which ones does he play down? Uh, because that's very telling. It is not true that, it's just not true that Jesus places equal weight on every text that appears in the Hebrew Bible, and it's an impossible way to live. The example I always give folks is, uh, if in Judges we're reading, uh, our reading is, uh, well, God kills God's enemies, and then we read that uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that we're supposed to turn the other cheek and not resist uh, evil with violence in this way, all the, all the things that are there, then then it's not like multiple choice now. Well, you know, so whichever I feel like, because it's both in there. No, everybody has a hermeneutic. Everybody, everybody, there are no exceptions to this. Everybody has a kind of a guiding grid. Everybody is re- interpreting scripture through scripture in some form or another. Everybody um, is doing this kind of hermeneutical work that I, I, I would appeal to the hermeneutic of Jesus. One of the most famous ones, and boy, this feels like it's unfolding quickly in real time, I'm, I am just, I'm moving right along here. One of the places where that happens most prominently is a very famous text, right? It's kind of the, 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 the inauguration in some ways, because Jesus, at this point in his life, uh, he's basically, he's an adult now, and this is where Jesus becomes Jesus in the sense that uh, his ministry really begins and the work of the kingdom or the kingdom of God really takes off, this is where it happens, right, is the moment where Jesus, Luke chapter 4, is seated in the temple. And as he, he, is, he is seated there, and I, I love this, it's Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19, came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, hear this, quotes, again, words of Isaiah, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I love to read these words. I love to meditate on them. I love saying them to you right now. I love to say them out loud. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I love these words because there's liberation in them. There's freedom in them, uh, within them. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, to set at liberty. You hear these words that I'm not making up. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What is Jesus, how does he understand his own prophetic function? Through the lens of the prophet Isaiah, he understands himself that his mission, his mission on the earth is with the Holy Spirit resting upon him, the breath of God, power of God resting on him, preaching the gospel of the poor. I'm not trying to be repetitive, but I want you to, to go with me here. To preach the gospel of the poor, heal the brokenhearted, liberty, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The, the agenda of Jesus is one of liberation. The agenda of Jesus is one of freedom. The agenda of Jesus is always one of unshackling, unchaining. The agenda of Jesus is our freedom. And it that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. 
breath of God, the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is to set people free, is to liberate people. Now, it is also noteworthy within this very text that if you read this in context of the prophet Isaiah, and keep in mind in that time, you know, verse numbers, all of that, of course, comes much later. No verse numbers. But, I mean, there's not even a line break here. In Isaiah, this prophecy is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the vengeance of our God. And the vengeance of our God. You can't tell me that there weren't um, some crotchety religious folk who heard Jesus read this. Because it's very demonstrative here. This is the uh, Middle Eastern uh, first century version of a mic drop. When a- After that part, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, after he reads that part, the text says that then he sat down. He rolled up the scroll. In our vernacular, he closed the book. I love to teach about this, how Jesus closes the book. Yes, vengeance is there. Vengeance is in the Bible. But Jesus closes the book on vengeance. Jesus closes the book on judgment. Where Jesus lands, what Jesus accentuates, is proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, I, I hear I hear the objections in my head already, right? I mean, I always do. Kind of, well, yeah, yeah, well, he, he's proclaiming freedom then, but it's judgment later. This is where I'm going to argue consistently for the way that the character of God, the character of Jesus. It's what, why we have to redefine some of our words. I, I believe in judgment, but I think we have to define judgment in a different way than a lot of us have. Because I think judgment for those of us who are Jesus people, is also Christ-like. Judgment is Christ-like. And our judgment needs to become more Christ-like in the way that we've heard some of that language. Jesus talks about judgment in many times and places. And I talk about those passages. It's so wild. It's not how people use them now. Uh, the parable of the separation of sheep and goats in the end. It's not about uh, there. It has nothing to do with the profession of faith. It has nothing to do with the creed. It's what we do with the least of these. And yet somehow people turn that into whether or not you pray the sinner's prayer will determine whether or not you'll be tortured for an eternity in hell. Uh, really wild. Really wild. Some of these things that have turned into, well, this is just what, what the Bible says. <laughs> that uh, are, by no means are <laughs> any kind of a straightforward uh, sense are what the Bible says. Obviously, I could go on about the, uh, uh, about this for days. But really, I'm, I'm actually trying to get to a fundamentally pretty simple thing. And it's what I really want this whole thing to be about. If you ask me how I know what I know, why, how I believe what I believe, this is really what it comes down to. Don't know how you feel about this. I'm not sure if I've said it out loud quite this way before. So, let's see. I, I know the Spirit of God. Now again, this is for me as someone who, who, who is a believer in Jesus. Not being heavy-handed about it, but I, but I believe in Jesus. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to back up further in a way. Maybe I think I'm winding up the throw even a little further because I'm aware that what I am saying and what I'm about to say, how it can be taken. And it feels like it needs to be qualified because I don't have this sense. I know plenty of people have said, I've heard from God in this way uh, or that way and how I hear God. Well, it's, you know, it's my way or the highway. Because I'm the person who rightly discerns. I'm the authority figure, etc., etc. I don't mean it in that spirit. I don't claim to have a special uh, kind of revelation. I don't claim to have um, a special kind of authority. Uh, just none of those things. I just don't. I don't make any claims about any of that. Don't think anybody around me are making those kind of claims. 
it's not where this comes from. What I do really believe, though, and I, and I and I deeply, deeply feel this, is that the things that I've come to believe about Jesus, I believe about Jesus from knowing Jesus. That sound really basic in Sunday school to say? Things I've come to believe about Jesus, I come from, come for me, from knowing Jesus. And I do believe that. I do believe that these things for me come out of knowing Jesus. I'm not saying I know Jesus better than anyone else knows him. But I do have to be attentive. I do have to tend to the things that I do know about Jesus. Now, part of what's wild about this is that there was a time in my life when I would have understood the people who really know about Jesus are the people who really get it right in their lives, uh, who made no mistakes, who are moralistically virtuous, the most righteous, like whatever. My experience has been, not just my life, but I think the lives of others, think this is wisdom, tradition in general. That's really not how it works. Is that actually the people uh, who know God the most deeply and the most experientially have had significant experiences of failure. I, I, I'm not trying to have sermons within sermons. <laughs> racks on racks on racks. <laughs> sermons upon sermons. Uh, we think of, you know, uh, Peter, right? You know, who's, who's the, 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 is the head of the early church. But Right before that, there's this experience of denying Jesus. And there, I think the idea here is that he can't be entrusted with the keys to the family car here. can be given this kind of authority until he has failed. Until he's failed. Because otherwise his ego is too dangerous. So, not you know, I, it's, it's just been so interesting because I don't... Uh, I and people like, well, who are you to say? Well, I, I don't claim to be anybody great, but I can tell you this. I know Jesus a lot better than I ever have before, and more deeply. The way that failure in life on the underside and taking some hits and living some life, I think, enables us to do. But I, I'm no less convinced, and, and that's why I can't back up on this, that I do know Jesus. And so some of the things that I hear, some things that people will say about God, that are repeating things that they heard, and sometimes it's even repeating what they understand of Scripture. Because keep in mind, even what we saw about the movement from Isaiah to Jesus. There's like, there is a, uh, what, what you've heard about Scripture, what people hear on a top level, uh, is, not, is not conclusive. Um, man, so much I could say about that. I hear people say things, where, what I really want to say is, you know, and I, you know, we can have the theological conversation. I'll, you know, okay, I'll do it. And I'll we can go back and forth about text and we can talk about church tradition and we can talk about church fathers and we can talk about all kinds of all kinds of historical critical things and I'm down with it I enjoy it to a point but there's also this part of me that ultimately just wants to kind of sometimes put my hands out in a stop gesture and say like hey 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 okay I hear you I hear you but do you know Jesus do you know Jesus This is, may come out funny, right? But do you know Jesus? Like, real, like, do you know him? Do you know Jesus at all? Do you know Jesus? Jesus, the liberator, the one who sets the captives free. Jesus, the one who brings sight to the blind, who brings liberty to the captives, who proclaims the year of God's favor. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this liberating presence? 
do you know this Jesus? I, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware I'm saying the same thing multiple ways. I want to punch this home. Do you know this Jesus who sets the captives free, who delivers people out of, uh, spirit, of any kind of spiritual bondage, not into it, doesn't enslave, liberates. See, that, you want to ask me how I know? That's how I know. I know when I hear that sound. I know when I hear those liberating words. I know when I hear that power that sets people free. Oh, and you know what's so... I'm, I'm just letting myself get real preachy right here. You know what's so beautiful about this? Is that you hear that sound all kinds of places. And not everybody who ever hears the sound, whoever sings it, um, who are vehicles for it, they don't all even know about Jesus in some kind of technical way. They, they don't all... You know, uh, creedily, uh, <laughs> it, it's not really about that. It's not having the ideas right. That that sound Jesus Himself said about the Holy Spirit that the Spirit is like the wind, and those who follow the Spirit are like the wind. Uh, we don't know where they come from or where they're going. We, ooh, wherever it comes from, you know when you hear it. You know that wind. Ooh, that is you. You feel that breeze. You hear that sound, and. I'm this indirectly thinking about preaching the other week. Yeah, that sound is tender. It's the sound of heartbreak. Uh, it's the sound of power. But it's not power over. It's not power for coercion. It's not power for control. It's that power under. It's that power of the cross. It's that power of self-sacrificial, non-violent, self-giving love. It's that power. Oh, I know. I know when I hear that sound. I know when I hear that voice. Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. I know when I hear the voice. And I'm not saying that in a way that's arrogant or over against anybody else. But I am saying it in a way that I'm not backing up to anybody or anything. I know when I hear the voice. I want to say it with that tone too. I know when I hear the voice. I know that sound. And I know the sound that's not like that sound. I know the sound that doesn't bring freedom. I know the sound that doesn't actually bring uh, healing balm and, and doesn't bind up wounds, but, um, but causes harm. I know that sound too. You do too if you let yourself know it. If you let yourself know what you know. I'm not trying to be Yoda here. Not clever. There are no Jedi mind tricks. If you let yourself know what you already know. Because on a deeply human level, you do know that. It's the same principle as this, oh, ridiculous business of like, uh, uh, you would never slow roast your kid because that's how you love, but maybe God's love looks like cruelty to us. David Bentley Hart had a great rant about this on this podcast one time. Um, yeah, no, no, no. That's not how it works. And there's a reason why Jesus, uh, in particular, uses this analogy of parental love so often, precisely because we are supposed to think about God in context of that analogy. The point always, though, to say that God transcends our parenting. But that's not to say that, like, you know, it might look, might seem really mean to us, but to God, that's what mercy sounds like. Well, no, that's just dumb. And that's not what it means. So what I'm saying is you know this on some level. You know the sound of freedom. You know the sound of liberation, the sound that's not. Now, what stinks about this, and, man, I, I did not mean to say this. Don't really want to talk about this. But um, I'm, I'm doing a thing here because I know not everybody, but some of y'all come from circles like mine, uh, maybe from Pentecostal charismatic circles, maybe some places where 
there's a certain kind of tradition of, of preaching um, that, that can go a little more broader and fundamentalist evangelical kind of circles. Uh, authority sometimes is just mistaken for people talking loud. I'm not against talking loud. I get animated when I talk about things that I love. I'm kind of animated right now, aren't I? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. But it's but there's this idea that the loudness is is equated with authority or 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 I'm not fumbling right now. I, I I'm I'm hitting <laughs> the gold <laughs> and I'm enjoying the feeling as I hit it. Or Shame has such deep hooks in people. Shame is so prevalent in people. Shame is such a reality within so many human systems in such a fundamental way that it feels like it's baked into our bones even though it's not. Shame is so, for many of us, it is, that is the, that is the voice we know first and best is it's honor or shame. And um, there is a lot of not good enough not holy enough, not pure enough, not this or that enough. There's a lot of there's a lot of blame. There's a lot of condemnation. We have those voices in ourselves, and when someone else external to that, outside of that, speaks in a loud voice, and they tap into that thing that's already present in us, it feels powerful. It resonates. It resonates. You know what else resonates? Fear. You know what else really resonates is blame. Fear is a powerful thing, baby, to quote the boss, Bruce Springsteen, in a great song called Devils and Dust. Fear is a powerful thing, baby. Turn your heart black you can trust. Take a God-shaped soul and fill it. I'm sorry, take a God-shaped hole and fill it with devils and dust. Fear is a powerful thing, baby. Turn a heart black you can trust. Take a God-shaped hole fill it with devils and dust. Fear will do that. This is why it's so powerful. It's enormously powerful. And it's why... And I'm, man, I'm hitting a nerve. I'm hitting a nerve in me, but I'm hitting a nerve in y'all. And I know for some folks, it's going to hit some real resistance right here. It's why for so many people, blaming and scapegoating in particular sounds like the Holy Spirit. Because, man, when somebody gets wound up and they are letting it go, and they're talking about these people and those people and how they're not doing right, and that crew is not right... Because they're not doing it the way we're doing it. And they're not doing it the way uh, I believe it. They're, and of course, they're quoting scripture. But it's <laughs> their interpretation of scripture. And so it's like, no, oh. But like when we have like an us and them, oh, it's powerful. Because it is a simulation of righteousness. We cleanse ourselves on, some, uh, 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 on someone else. at someone else's expense. Not going there now, but Toni Morrison's great novel, The Bluest Eye illustrates this in such a powerful way through this character of Piccola that everybody, whatever their transgressions are, whatever their deficiencies are, whatever their insecurities are they're all projected on her and they feel they, they feel beautiful because she's so despicable mm. and oh I hear it I hear it, I hear it all the time I hear it all the time, uh, it, this is a great sermon this is powerful, for some people this is what the word of God sounds like, because it's spoken with authority Spoken with unction, spoken with zeal, and oh goodness, that unction and zeal can come from a deep place because how desperately do we need to be right? How desperately do we need to be part of the crew of other people who are right? How desperately do we need to be part of the righteous ones? 
how much do we need to be part of the elect? How much do we need to know that we're an us precisely because we have a them? Oh, it's motivating. It's inspiring. It hits in our bones. It's chilling. Make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Make you feel like you're part of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep down, I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that. And I know that this message of condemnation and blame is right because it's deep in me. And I know that this message that those folks are wrong and that our crew, our people are the right ones. Man, that's deep in me. It hits something very deep. But just because it lands in something deep, just because it's resonant emotionally on some level does not mean it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I'm not going to even apologize for how preachy this language is right here because I'm, I'm speaking in a particular context where I feel like some people need to hear it in this way. Do you understand that I'm not the one who's saying this? Do you understand that the prophetic mission as we read it in the book of Isaiah, but also as it is given to us in, um, d- d- directly in the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, and this bears out, it's a through line through Jesus' whole life and ministry. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is why I feel like I can say that when people hear a message that makes them commit suicide or makes them want to commit suicide, that I know it's not Jesus. If it makes people hate themselves and despise themselves, I know it's not Jesus. If it sends people deeper into a spiral of shame and condemnation, I know that's not what Jesus sounds like. I know that that's not what Jesus sounds like. I know that if it doesn't bring freedom and healing, I know that if it doesn't bring light, I know that if it doesn't tend to wounds, I know that if it doesn't bind up wounds, I know that if it isn't caring, I know if it's not self-giving. Yeah, I'm going to say that I feel like I know that. And this is why I feel like the way that I talk about these things for some communities that I know or where I come from is going to be especially obnoxious because if you're allowed to believe something at all, you better believe it soft. You better say it soft because those other kinds of voices speak with authority. And if you want to say like, yeah, you know, like in my experience, God is nice. God's really nice. And he's really nice to everyone. He's just, you know, he's super chill and he's just great like that. If they, you know, if you say it like that, like, okay, and they got to laugh behind your back because, you know, like there's no sense of, they, they don't feel like they don't recognize that as the sound of the Holy Spirit for them. There's not unction. There's not authority. There's not like whatever. Uh, I'm, but I'm going to dare to say it the other way. And I'm going to say, I know what the voice of the good shepherd sounds like. Not because I'm special, not because I'm enlightened. You know what the voice of the shepherd sounds like too, if you listen deeply enough. Now, one of the luxuries that I have here that people who are in other kinds of spaces don't seem to have is that I, I have no problem recognizing and validating the fact that people can be bound up with all kinds of toxic theologies and toxic systems and yet still sometimes echo this sound. And I perk up. I, I can hear it differently. Oh, uh, it's happened more times than I can count. Uh, right in the midst of all kinds of things that really might be oppressive and unhelpful and not according to the prophetic agenda of Isaiah as delivered through Jesus via Luke 4. 
that all kinds of things like, oh, this is just nonsense. This does not help anybody. This is not constructive. Ugh. And yet, in the middle of it, here comes a few lines. Here comes a riff. Here comes that sound. Oh, oh. And people tap into it. People tap into it because they have had experiences of grace. They have had experiences of mercy in their lives. They have experienced something of that kind of, um, well, of what love looks like. So it comes out. And it's not all or nothing. It's absolutely possible that, uh, you know. So I, I'm just saying, I can easily acknowledge this the other direction. Where it's like, ooh, 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 yeah, uh, uh, sorry, not mad at you. I know that's not what the voice of Jesus sounds like. Ooh, 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 but right there, I, I, I heard the sound, I heard the sound. Because people are complicated and we're all incomplete. Paul in 1 Corinthians, now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. My new friend... Elise last night at the Whisk, she's from Gov Methodist, said something very profound about that text. I'm, I'm footnoting you, Elise. I'm citing you. Is that she said when Paul said that we see through a glass darkly, but now face to face? She said across, uh, sitting beside me at the table last night. She said I always assumed that that meant that it's like staring through a mirror and, and, and it's just like it's like this this cloudy mirror. But what if part of what it is to see face to face? is a human face the human face of christ the face that we see in one another oh my goodness that <laughs> you talk about the anointing see that's the sound that's the sound <laughs> don't you don't you hear it don't you hear it people are still bound up with all the other stuff as i am in so many ways can't you hear it can't you hear the sound oh you oh yeah 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 now we see through glass darkly but then face to face oh it's a human face it's a human face it is the face of god but revealed to the face of humanity the promise ultimately in first john that, uh, that when we see him as he is when we behold him as he is that we shall become like him but doesn't it make sense then that when we see jesus in the face of another human that there is a different kind of knowing that happens that moves from theoretical and that moves from narcissism <laughs> and that moves from just projection because again, I'm, I'm, whisper, I'm whispering I'm not, I'm not being loud here I'm whispering this a lot of what you people do is just a lot of projection there's so much projection there's so much projection there's so much projection onto God uh, what, whatever the shame that you feel you're projecting it onto God God's a monster because there's a monster that lives inside of you that you don't know how to deal with that you don't know how to love there's all these th things that you project onto others oh these people those people they're the really evil ones ooh and you're projecting all these things in onto folks that sound nasty and feel nasty because there are in fact nasty things inside of you that aren't dealt with and the only way that you can rectify it, the only way that you can feel justified, the only way you can balance the scales is to get out of your system onto somebody else. That's not what the liberator sounds like. It's not what the good shepherd, to use some good gospel's language, sounds like. It's not what Jesus sounds like. It's not the tender voice of the one who calls us beloved. It's just not. This is the preachers I've forgotten this podcast. Well, like a, like a sermon, then it needs eight closes, doesn't it? Uh, I'm not really going to do that. I'm, I'm winding up like this. You asked me how I know, because I know. Because I know. But, oh, you, you, you mean like, is that kind of like, because like you like walk and talk with Jesus? That's what I'm saying. That is largely what I mean. And yes, 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 listening to the voice of Jesus through scripture and through a tradition, through a community that follows Jesus, like all things. But ultimately on some level, do I mean, because like you like 
walk with him and talk with him. Yes, 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 yes. That that is what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. And uh, I just think that is available to everyone. I think that's available to every person. And I'm committed to that liberating sound. And if you haven't heard that sound, and you're still, uh, can I can I get real old school Pentecostal and say this to you right now in Jesus' name? If other people have told you you don't have a choice, I'm here to tell you they have a choice. If other people have made you feel coerced, ironically, into following a, a God of love, He loves you unconditionally. Nothing you could say or do will ever change your. It will ever change God's mind. Uh, because of how he feels about you. And if you don't say yes, you will fry for billions of years. <laughs> Your soul knows that it's not true. So if you've not been told that you have a choice, you have a choice. And that is one of the few things that I've ever said that has universal application. Unless your choice is to encroach on someone else's space against their will because you don't have a choice to do that but unless you're you know unless we're talking about violence or abuse you have a choice in relationships you have a choice who to be with you have a choice what kind of career you're going to have you have a choice what kind of life you want to build you have a choice whether or not you're you are going to be connected to certain systems in the ways that you've known them before or not you have a choice and like that's how hardcore preacher I'm going to say it I I don't feel like I'm just saying that I would think Jesus would say that to you you do have a choice and I'm not afraid of saying that I'm not afraid of, well, what if people make bad choices? Well, what if people don't? Look, I believe with all of my being that when people experience the ferocity of being loved, the ferocity of the love of God, when people really have a revelation of the beauty that's at the center of the mystery, I don't think you have to be afraid of what people are going are going to do with that. I trust God, which is a way of saying I trust love and trust love in you. Doesn't mean all of your choices have been right, just like so many of mine have not been right. You know, that doesn't mean you can't be trusted. That's the beautiful thing about God. It's why this story, good grief, it's why this story always has to start in Genesis 1 and not Genesis 3. It's why it starts with creating the image of God, not the fall. Yes, human brokenness is part of our reality in fundamental ways. And yes, each of us are complicit in systems that are unjust, that are that bring oppression, that bring harm. All of us are complicit in systems without our choosing. All of that is true. All that's true. So I believe in fall. I believe that there are ways that the image of God is marred in us because of selfishness and greed. And um, again, well, the way we say it when we confess our sins around here, by what we've done and what we've left undone. Yeah. 
we have screwed up. Yeah, we have lost the plot. Yeah, we have missed the mark in incredibly significant and damaging ways. The story still begins with being created in the image of God. And that's not lost. And I believe in the beauty underneath the surface. I believe in that. I believe that even in the ways that... Because, goodness, like we... We hear, I, I, I promise I'm done with this. Everything all around us, right, is, um, of course, we're, the systems and structures around us mess with us and mess with our desires. In this chapter, I talk about coming to terms with what you really want, because I think it's an important question, and one that I feel like God, by the Spirit, has confronted me with a lot <laughs> more recent years. What do you want? What do you want? Made me have to dig for it. Maybe I have to say it. Like, not an option. Like, oh, you know, just whatever you want. Now, no, 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 don't get me wrong. I know Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. But you understand that's that, that sense of ultimate surrender of this ultimately is it about self, ego self, false self, but surrendering to something higher and running, doesn't mean you don't have to confront what you want or name it. Now, I know our desires get kind of warped in the sense that especially when all around us, like, you know, there's empire and... So yeah, then like oh yeah yeah like you get to you get to do what you want you get to choose what you want so oh yeah well I guess you just you want to be president right I guess you want a billion dollars right I guess you want to be the next American Idol uh, yeah okay that that's just not what I mean there are deeper desires and while you can't trust the superficial top level wants you can trust the desires to lead you somewhere good huh. how many times have have we seen it sin to use that word. Sin is always an unhelpful, non-constructive response, an illegitimate response to a legitimate need in some way. But that need for community, transcendence, connection, whatever it might be, that in of itself is not bad. That desire is good. you got to follow that deeper. So what do you want? What do you want? You, we got to be able to to dig into that question. And I, that's, so that's what I'm coming to do here today. I do sound like a preacher. I drove all the way from Indiana to Grand Rapids. <laughs> I'm not to Grand Rapids yet. Y'all pray for me that I make it. I, 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 I but I do. I'm, I, I'm facetious the way that I am. But I, I really mean it. I do feel like I'm coming for somebody to say, God would ask you the question, what do you want? God cares about what you want. In a lot of cases, more than you care about what you want. You don't feel like you've got permission to ask yourself yet. But that's not God. God cares about what you want. God cares about your deepest desires. God cares about your heart more than you might care about your heart. Heart's deceitfully wicked above all things, Jeremiah. Yep. Got it, got it, got it. That's not the only thing in the account, (laughs) y'all. There's also a very real way in which you have known and tasted what love is and who love is. And there is a part of you that can be trusted. That deeper, quieter, stiller self, where indeed you can hear that other voice. That voice that does not come through thunder, lightning, earthquake, fire, but that still small voice that whispers to you now, what do you want? Who do you want to be? What is the life that you choose? Mm. What is what is the path that you what is the path that you choose? Doesn't mean it you know, doesn't need amendment. Does it mean we don't need any, uh, you know, guardrails or like blah blah blah? I'm, you know what I mean. 
there is this ultimate way that God, who is the God of freedom, how do I know? Because it's what Jesus said to us. He is the one who comes to liberate the captives and set the oppressed free. And if you don't feel like you can choose, then you're not free. So in the name of Jesus, be free. Free your mind. Free yourself. Follow your deepest desires where they lead. Follow love back to the source. Well, (laughs) I could sit with that for a minute. Hope you will. Hope you will. Maybe you're riding the car. Maybe you're... Joe listens on the lawnmower sometimes, I think. Maybe you're um, playing this around the house, doing something else. Yeah, say law. Sit with that. Let that truth sit in you. Let it work on you. Let it work on you when this is over. Let it knead the dough. You know what I'm saying? Let Let it work itself into you. Let it get under your fingernails and tangled up in your hair let it let it go all the way down you're free you are free you are free doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want to anyone else but in terms of our own capacity to be able your own capacity to choose your own life yeah yeah you're free you let that sit in you you don't think you're free because somebody else has made you feel like that but God doesn't make you feel like that God isn't saying that to you I'll say again, your soul knows this. Mm, mm, mm. Well, well, well. I feel good things happening right now. I do. I feel good things happening. I feel freedom happening right now. And release happening right now. And relief happening right now. I feel... I feel tears of joy happening right now. I feel... Songs... <laughs> That, have, that are in you to sing that that like they're they're that are that are coming out again I hear the I hear the sound of freedom I hear that kind of primal unrefined cry I hear I hear the sound I hear the sound of people getting free not because I'm liberating anybody but but this this word, this word will liberate you. This liberator, this liberator will, oh, oh yeah, 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 he will liberate you. He will liberate you. And I feel it happening right now. I'm enjoying it. And I'm, and whatever resistance is there, uh, you know, pain, all that kind of stuff. Hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> so preachy. The Gospels tell us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling liberty, I'm going to tell you where that's coming from. That is the Holy Spirit. That's There's a reason you're feeling free. Because the liberator has come and is coming. Yeah. So... 
so you so you ride that and conversely if it's not bringing liberty if it's bringing captivity if it's bringing bondage if it's bringing oppression if it's bringing um, hmm, it's bringing condemnation if it's bringing self-doubt if it's bringing uh, if it's bringing wrath it's bringing wrath it's bringing wrath some of you who know the voice I wish you could hear that because uh, <laughs> it's, it's still some of the last resistance is that uh, freedom, freedom, freedom sounds good that, that part's cool but then in, there's this part of me that really thinks that God actually is wrathful and sounds like wrath and when you hear it uh, yeah, 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 that wrath is not that wrath is not who God is that wrath is not in fact resting on you I need another talk to do a whole little study on that word in Scripture, Hebrew, and Christian uh, New Testament. For another story for another time. If it if it's binding you up with anger, then the liberator's not bringing it. So I'm just encouraging you to take the permission that has already been granted to step into that which is bringing you freedom, and not that which binds you up because unforgiveness and bitterness and um, and all that our folks are the right ones and all that over againstness eh, it's just not it's not free it's not free it's okay to get mad I'm never tell people you can't get mad I mean that's just dumb that's crazy like you, you need to be angry uh, to, be, to be angry sometimes and all that There's reasons to be angry yeah okay but stewing in that and that like shaping your reality and that's not that's not the sound of liberation you know that sound you know that sound yeah i'm not i'm not trying to convince you of it i'm not trying to tell you i'm 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 not talking i don't have any desire to talk anybody into you listen to yourself that deepest self you know you know what liberation sounds like well, it's 5.28 Eastern Time, but it feels like Sunday morning on this drive into Michigan right now. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing, liking, commenting. Any of that really helps. Any of that with a book. Hey, it's a big deal. So if you can, I don't, I don't think we have Google reviews yet in those things, Goodreads, and that stuff is awesome. If you feel, have something nice you want to say, appreciate it. Supporting on Patreon is super helpful right now because, goodness, <laughs> we're trying to do a lot of things. <laughs> so thank you for that. Appreciate y'all being around for the ride. I'm glad. My friend William Matthews sings a beautiful song that says, Free, free, we'll all be free. Uh, we know there are ways that we haven't experienced the fullness of that sound of freedom yet. So between now and then, we'll keep preaching to each other. We'll keep encouraging each other. We'll keep... Um, We'll just keep walking in this way of liberty together and push each other and and nudge each other more deeply to listen to the sound freedom, the God of freedom. This has been the Zeitcast. I'm Jonathan Martin. I'm glad you're here. Take care.